So we are continuing with our Grace Sermon Series. And last week, Philip Pretorius, who leads our Citywide Church, was basically speaking about um, common grace that is available to everyone, then saving grace, grace that leads us towards coming to a saving relationship with Jesus, but then empowering grace. And that's the grace of God that enables us to accomplish the purposes of God over our lives. And um, tonight, I'd love to share with you a little bit on a concept that has been stirring in my heart for the past couple of weeks. And it's this idea that grace is patient. That grace is patient. Um, when we thought about this whole sermon series and that little asterisk right there at the top, it speaks about all of us having that um, qualifier next to our names that is almost like extended from ourselves. So it's not because of my power. It's not because of my ability. It's something external that was involved in order for me to have a relationship with God, to accomplish the things that we've accomplished or to do the things that God has called us to do. There's an asterisk next to our names because it's not by our own strength so that no one can boast. It's by grace that we have been saved. Um, and the, the scripture I want to take us into tonight, and it's basically one verse in Second Peter 3 verse 9. Um, I want to read this and I'm going to give us a little bit of context. But it says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I'll read it again. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Let's pray. Father, tonight we want to come and just surrender our lives, Lord, just to your grace once more. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love towards us. We thank you for your kindness towards us, Lord. Um, and right now, Lord, we thank you that there's an abundance, a sufficiency of grace available. And tonight we want to come and specifically thank you, Lord, that, that you are patient, that you are patient, Lord. That you are not slow as we deem things to be slow, Lord. Um, but that you have this desire that all should come to the saving knowledge of who Jesus is. And I pray, Lord, that you'll come and minister just your word into our hearts tonight. Holy Spirit, would you come and speak to us? Would you come and move in us? And would you come and reveal yourself to us afresh tonight? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, um, the whole idea for me behind grace and that little asterisk and all of that is that I find myself continually learning more about God. So there's this aspect where I've discovered God and then I get to respond to who God is. But then as I continue in my Christian faith, I discover more about God. Um, and there's that leading into a deeper revelation the whole time. And the deeper God leads me, it's almost continually the space where I'm challenged with something that I believe that is no longer true, and I need to now believe something different. All right? So it's like a deconversion of believing A, God reveals to me that A is no longer right, I have to believe B. And that's that process almost of all of my life. And then one of these aspects has been God's grace that is patient. And a little bit of context just from this book. So book of Peter is written to Gentile believers so non-Jewish believers, some of you are not Jewish by origin, by birth, all right? You don't have an, an Israeli passport, all right? 
Um, so it's written to people like us, Gentile believers. And Second Peter specifically calls Christians towards perseverance in their faith and to obtain true knowledge. So some of you have, may have heard of the word agnostic. All right? So it's someone that's, that says there might be a higher power available, but it's impossible to know for sure. So agnosticism speaks about the lack of knowledge. Then not Gnosticism speaks about knowledge. But Paul calls them towards gnosis, which speaks about knowledge that is revealed through Scripture. Um, and he challenges some Gnostic thinking, so worldly thinking, ways that they used to believe. Remember, these people did not grow up with the God of Israel. They were um, worshiping many other things. So in this space, the same with you and me, we grew up like worshiping many other things, giving our lives towards many other things. But here Peter calls them this towards gnosis, true revelation found in Scripture. So true knowledge that is based in the Word of God. Then he warns them of false teachers who will lead people astray, who will lead people away from the faith. And then he gives them encouragement amidst just the mockings and the persecution for their faith in Jesus. Right, so two things is primarily happening there. Calls them towards true knowledge, or three things. True knowledge, he warns them against false teachers, but then he also gives them an encouragement to say, even though you might be mocked, even though you might be facing persecution, remember who Jesus is. So he reminds them with a powerful truth. So then chapter 3, so this is where we get this verse from. It's this final chapter, Peter is near his death, and he's giving these encouragements and reminders again to the people. And people are basically laughing at these Christians for their faith in Christ. Um, so it's almost like they're saying, listen, you guys have now walked away from all of the things that we deemed important, all of the good things in life. Remember that you gave up the partying and you gave up the drinking and you gave up the, the, the sexual relationships and all of the things where you were the God of your own life. You gave all of that, that up for this Jesus who died on the cross and now would apparently come back someday. Wouldn't he have come back already? And the picture I see in my mind with this whole story is almost like the people are standing with the Christians and saying, standing with their beer in their hand or their wine in their hand or standing with their multiple girlfriends um, around them, saying, surely, if there was a God, he would he would punish me right now. Like he would act against me not right now. And it's like one of those movie scenes. I don't know if it was Bruce Almighty. But it's like, smite me, oh God. And then nothing happens. And it's like, you see? Because Jesus isn't coming back. And they utter these words to them, you fools. You stupid fools. Believing in something like Jesus. How dumb is that? And then they turn their backs on them and they walk away. And I think sometimes we can find ourselves here as well. It's, and, and maybe this I'm speaking specifically to the church, to those of you who are born-again believers. We can look at everything that's happening in the world, um, and we can look at the injustice and the pain and the suffering and the, the, the increase of immorality, and we can almost start crying and say, God, why don't you do something? Why don't you act? Why don't you do something about all of this? Um, and maybe we even find ourselves, just as the Gentile believers, questioning, did we make the right decision? <laughs> like, um, I know that the whole hype around the life of Jesus was quite cool, but the conference has ended. We've gone home now, <laughs> and it's been a couple of months. And for us, it's been a couple of years. 
Did I make the right decision in following Jesus? Or are we maybe slipping into a hybrid where we follow Jesus, but we also do certain things of the world? So we get to almost like experience the benefit of both. But then it comes to these verses um, in chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. And, and Peter writes and he says to them, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So he says to them, friends, remember that a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day to God. So in your mind, like God, you've been away now for more than 2,000 years. We think it's time. (laughs) And it's like, what do you mean, guys? It's been two days and a bit. So a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. But then he says, God is not slow as we count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But then he does give this warning. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Even though it might have been 2,000 years, it can happen tomorrow. So be ready. Be ready because when Jesus comes back, all of the works that have been done in the earth will be exposed. Everything will be laid bare before the eyes of the Lord to whom we must all give an account. So he gives them this, this hope almost like, remember guys, God is not human. He's not like us. He doesn't measure time the way that we measure time. But the God's slowness, his, his delay in returning is so that people can come to know Christ. But be assured He is coming. Be assured He is coming. And that day will come like a thief in the night. You will not expect it. You will not, um, it won't be announced on the mainstream circles. But it's coming. And that day all things will be laid bare before the eyes of the Lord. One of the commentaries that I read just on this passage said the following, God is eternal, He can afford to take His time. (laughs) That's nice. (laughs) God is eternal, He can afford to take His time. Uh, God, I'm not eternal. (laughs) Um, I'm a bit more impatient. Um, I want things to happen now. Like um, we were driving back from um, close to Tanin now today, um, and like I was thinking to myself, life would be so much better if people could stop confusing my following gap for their, like my following distance for their gap. Um, and then you get to the stall gate, and then I said to Reed, we got to the one, um, and I'm in a little bit of a hurry because I got to get back to church. And the guy hands the, his note to the cashier lady, and he drops to the floor. I'm like, obviously, obviously I had to choose this lane. Um, <laughs> I was like, how dare this guy make me wait? Um, so God might be eternal. I'm not. But he can, he can take his time. So, um, and I want to share tonight with you just two simple truths that, that I've been learning, um, but also continue to learn. And it's this. God has always been leading me towards the cross and is always leading me from the cross. So he's leading me towards the cross And he's leading us from the cross. And I'm going to share from my life. 
Right? How you choose to apply this to your life is up to you. But in the end, I am going to speak about a corporate response. Like how do we respond as a church? Um, me being the leader of this congregation, I have the privilege of almost like saying, guys, as a church, this is the direction we're going in alignment with the elders. Um, Jan is not here, so he doesn't have a say, and Andre is very submissive. So <laughs> Andre is a nice guy, yeah. Um, but God leads us towards the cross. So a little bit of background for those of you who might not know me. I grew up in a Christian family, and when I say Christian family, I don't mean that my parents were these super believers um, and they raised me in the ways of God forever. No, we just grew up with religion. We grew up in a Christian community, um, and there is that space where we do all the right things. So we go to church, we read our Bibles. Um, I was in boarding school from grade 8 till grade 12, and I had my dachstiki, my daily devotional, um, and they even did road call in boarding school. Like um, the mornings before breakfast, they would go through the rooms and make sure your bed is tidy and your room is neat and you'd be sitting on your bed having Bible study. Um, so we did all of the right things. So our lives ticked all of the boxes. Um, go to church on a Sunday. We went to Sunday school. We did the conferences, the camps, you name it, we did it. Um, we got the t-shirts and the what would Jesus do bandles and all of that. But I didn't have a deep personal connection with God. I, have a, I had a lot of knowledge about God. But I remember I told you about um, Gnosis and Gnostic. I had a lot of Gnostic knowledge about God. Um, like ways that I would view God and ways that I would interpret Scripture that would often fit my narrative as well. And if in any space in time, and there were a couple of opportunities that my life was to end, God would have been fully justified to condemn me to eternity in hell. He would have been fully justified because I've heard the truth. I was in church. I was at spaces where we gave our lives to the Lord um, or you sang great songs um, for moments and then the moment passes, the conference passes, the camp passes, and then you wait like, when's the next youth camp? When's the next Mighty Men conference? Um, and you start to live from moment to moment. But in that space... I didn't have a deep knowledge of who God was. I didn't have an intimate relationship with God. And he would have been fully justified to say, I don't know you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, you who practice sin. Because um, that was what my life was at. Like this continual compromise over my life where I would know what the right thing is, but I would choose to do the wrong thing. Um, and that was basically the story of my life. So God would have been justified, but he, he didn't. He saved my life. He spared my life. Um, and I want to read three scriptures. Ezekiel 33:11 says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure. Everyone say no pleasure. No pleasure. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? And, and that statement is quite profound. God says, I, have no, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And, and I think sometimes we have this picture of God in our minds, and sometimes we read through the Psalms, and some, I read sometimes the stories of David, and I'm thinking, well, David's like, God, destroy my enemies and let your fire come upon them. And like, David, you remember you were a little bit naughty with Bathsheba. Um, like, God showed mercy to you. Um, and it's like, in hindsight, I think David might have written some things differently. But we sometimes get this idea that God is just so ready to pour lightning from heaven 
And if you step out of line, you've got to be watch out for the next lightning strike. But it says here that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, The Lord will wait. He will be patient that he may be gracious to you. And I love this aspect about God. Now remember, Peter warned them. He said, yes, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. Um, and God is not slow like we might count slowness, but he's patient so that all could come to repentance. But remember, the day will come. And it's like in this space, we get this, um, this knowledge of who God is that is both patient, but it's also urgent. And I'm like, how? <laughs> Those two then connect. How do you be patient and be urgent? <laughs> same time like my mind cannot understand that but praise be to God that I'm not God right I don't have to try and make those two things work together God is patient but yet the message is incredibly incredibly urgent and then Romans 2 verse 4 says don't you see how wonderfully kind tolerant and patient God is with you does this mean nothing to you can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. So can you not see how God's goodness, and, and Phil spoke about this common grace, that God is gracious towards all people, but for the purpose of drawing people in. And, and so often, in, in my journey up to the space where I totally surrendered my life to Jesus, the, the, the knowledge I had about God, the church exposure I had, left me at a place of being deceived, where I thought I had a relationship with Jesus, but I really didn't. And then when there were good, good signs, like blessings over my life, I would take those blessings, that kindness, the acts of goodness from God's hand as a sign of God's approval over my life. And then I would say, but surely God must be with me because look at how the, the breakthrough that is given me in my relationship or in my work or the test that I just wrote, whatever it might be. So I look at the blessings of God, the goodness of God, the kindness of God, and I say, but surely this must mean that God approves of my life. I'm okay. I'm okay. But the reality was that I wasn't okay. And His kindness, His good gifts toward me, wasn't so that He will say, Shop, you're doing well. It's to show me His heart. It's to show me His heart. And God would have been justified to say, I've given you enough chances. I've given you enough chances. You've been to many. You've been to enough conferences and camps. I've given you enough chances. Your time is up. He would have been justified to say that I'm going to spend my time now with someone else. I'm just so thankful that God is not a man, that he doesn't only have to be in one place at one time, that God can be everywhere. He's omnipresent. But he would have been justified to say, Yaku, I've spent about 18 years of, of your life trying to reach you. Your time's up. The meter is out. I'm going to go spend my time on someone else. He would have been justified to say to me, you're obviously not serious about this relationship. So let's rather call it quits. Let's, let's, let's end this now before uh, someone gets hurt. <laughs> because that's how we speak, right? That's how we speak. When someone lets you down over and over and over again, it communicates, obviously this is not important to you, so let's rather just break whatever this is, let's just break it off. I've given you many chances. You've cheated on me too many times. Every time, every time I would choose against God, every time I would do the wrong thing, knowing what the right thing is, it's as if I'm cheating on God. And he would say like, okay, we've done this, and you've broken my heart too many times. It's done. But why? 
Why would God be patient? Why would He not give up? You see, God is not interested in something short-term. He's not interested in a fling or a one-night stand with you. He's looking for something permanent that will last the rest of your life, but it will stretch into eternity. This type of relationship that God desires with you and me is something that needs to last forever and ever and ever and then a bit more. When I pursued my wife, who's sitting there with her, her blue mask and her, her outfit. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Um, yeah, I need to be camera sensitive as well. Um, if I'm muted. <laughs> if I, if I, when I pursued my lovely wife, um, the goal was long-term, not short-term. Now, obviously, not every relationship you go into ends up in marriage. But that should be the goal when we start speaking about relationship and dating, right? Because um, relationship is not something that should be taken lightly. It's not something that you just do so that you can have your pleasures and your desires fulfilled. No, relationships are quite serious. So when we started, well, we were just friends first, um, and I asked her a couple of compatibility questions before we even started dating, like how does she see her life? And afterwards she let me know that she, she saw through my plans and my questions. Um, but when I pursued Rehead, it wasn't with just flattery of words where I would say all the right things and try to do all the right stuff. I was tempted, and maybe sometimes I did give in to those temptations to try and impress her. But those moments would last very briefly. Um, I didn't try and tempt her, like go always take her out to the most fanciest restaurants because I wouldn't be able to afford that long term. No, I needed to be honest and real with her. I needed to show her my true self because if she is to say yes to me, then it needs to last forever. And if I give her something that is not real, eventually I will be found out. Eventually the masks will come off. These masks as well. Eventually it will come off. And then that yes might not weigh as strong anymore because now she gets to see a side of me that I didn't reveal to her at first. And friends, it's the same with God. You see, when God pursues you and me, He's busy revealing His heart to you. And in my life, there were so many places where I viewed God from my perspective or from my knowledge or from my experiences or from my brokenness. And according to that filter, I would then judge this is how God is. And God needed to fight for that broken view that I had about Him because that is not who God is. And He was continually breaking down things. And whenever I would get to a space where it would have been justified for God to turn His back on me, He would keep on showing up to say, this is who I am, this is who I am, this is who I am, this is who I am. The whole time, God revealing His heart to me. Remember, He's in it for the long run. And if it takes Him 40 years to win your heart for eternity, it's worth it. It's worth it. If it takes God 40 years to win your heart, to capture your heart, to reveal Himself to you, so that you can have eternity with Him, it's worth it. Therefore, He is patient. And then we get led unto this space where we get to know Jesus. And I remember I was sitting in church, and many of you have heard the story, where I just felt God speak into my life and say, Yaku, you do not know me. If you die tonight, you will go to hell. 
And that kick-started something in my heart to say, but God, then I really want to know you. What does it mean to know God? And that started this journey of being a, a Christ follower, being a born-again Christian. And then, the second point, God continually leads us from the cross. He leads us from the cross. Now, Ephesians 2, verse 4 to 6, and one of the most incredible passages of Scripture that you guys can really go and meditate on, but it's also something I'm like, God, please help me to really believe this. Help me to really understand this. It says, but because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, when we were dead in our trespasses, when we were dead in our sins. The Bible says when you were not looking for God, He called you near. He brought you near. It's the blood of Christ that brings us near, not our good works. It wasn't me almost like pursuing God and doing all of these right things for God and then ultimately He gave in. That's what happened with Red. Like I had to continue to fight for her heart and fight for her heart. And then eventually she said, um, if you ask me out 50 times, I'll say yes. So that started a journey of asking her out every day. And then she broke down. <laughs> but it wasn't the same with God. It wasn't me pursuing God and trying to prove myself to Him. It was Him fighting for me even when I was not looking. Friends, I can tell you story upon story upon story where God would have been fully justified to let me go the path that I chose. But He stepped in and it's the, some, um, some songs speak about the scandalous grace of God. You guys know that um, we as humans have free will, right? And free will is quite essential to us having a love relationship with God. But sometimes the scandalous grace of God steps into our stories and it stretches the boundaries of our free will. Because there's a space where if God was to stretch beyond this point, He would not give you, he would, you wouldn't have full free will anymore. But it's where I would desire to go down a certain direction and God would just put these blockages in my way. And sometimes I would be angry at God. Sometimes I would become frustrated with God. But now looking back, it was the saving grace of God where He was fighting for me. And He keeps on showing up. He keeps on pitching up. So when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive in Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Friends, here Paul is not speaking about something that will still happen. He's not speaking about the day when Jesus comes back and then you will be in heaven with God. He says when you get born again, something happens with your spirit man that you are raised with Christ and you are seated alongside Him in the heavenly places. So if you are a born again Christian, your current reality is in heaven with Christ. And we get to live from this perspective into this world. That is profound. And now I see that God is continually leading me from this place. And here's why. You see, the effects of sin, I was born into sin. All of us were. That sinful nature that we were born with, this desire to sin. But every time I give in to sin, the stronghold of sin over my life gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it affects two great things in my life. My identity who I am, but also my purpose. So, so often I would find myself in, with a broken identity still. And I'm tempted, even now as a Christian, 
Remember, this is now after you were born again. God leads you from the cross. Even as a Christian, I'm tempted to look towards what I do to validate who I am. And then I want to do things for God so that God will say, well done, my son. I love you. I'm so proud of you. Here is a blessing for you. I got to unlock the love of God and I get to unlock the kindness of God and I get to, I get to um, unlock the blessings of God over my life by being good. And I'll, I'll still respond to God with a broken mindset. And what happens is I allow my actions to lead my faith. So if I've read my Bible this morning, then I have faith to pray for people who might be sick. If I've read my Bible this morning or I've been a good Christian the last week, then I have faith to approach God and ask Him for a breakthrough at work or in a friend's life. If I didn't have a great week, if I didn't get to spend time with God, now my actions lead my faith and I do not pursue God. I do not press into the presence of God because I don't feel that I've done enough. But instead, we should allow our faith lead our actions. And God is continually pulling me back towards this and He waits for me to come back to Him. He waits for me to come back to Him from my empty efforts and my self-validation projects. Um, yeah, sometimes. God has the ability, friends, to show up right now in the form of an angel and speak to you in whatever area of your life you need to be spoken to. But again, God is in this for the long term. He's not looking for a shortcut in our lives or in our hearts. And in my own life, there's this space where I almost like see this picture where God is just like, what are you doing? <laughs> and then he just waits. He just waits for me to come back and says, and how was that? <laughs> no, it wasn't so good, God. But he waits and he's there. And he receives me with open arms, like that story of the prodigal son where the son comes home. And God is just there and he's patiently waiting for me to come back, to return to him as a son does to his father, where I am loved fully and accepted fully. And that's the thing that continually breaks open. When I try to look for ways that I can impress God, God almost like allows me to get to a space where I realize, okay, this is not working. I come back to him into a space where I am fully loved and I am fully accepted. And it's like, okay, God, but I don't deserve this. And he's like, that's the point. That's the point. The second thing is I have a broken idea of purpose. Almost like this thing, if, if it's not grand and great, it's not God. All right? If I'm not giving my life to something that is incredibly amazing, then it's not God. Um, and, and this causes me to only go after things that will make a major impact now. Okay, God, how can we make a significant change in the world now? What's broken in my community that we can fix now? What is broken in the world that we can be part of now? What are the dangerous places that need to be reached now? Because I am impatient. God, I'm not eternal. <laughs> so, and sometimes what can happen is that if I'm not giving my life to something that is grand and great and dangerous then I'm not really living my life. Then I'm not really living a life that is, that is pleasing God. But God patiently reminds me that I'm not that great. He reminds me that I'm not that great. I might have a lot of good gifts and talents and stuff, but God reminds me, says, Yaku, you are not that great, and it's not my job to save the world. 
It's not my job to save the world. The greatest act of love and service I can render to God is to obey Him. That is the greatest act of love and service to God, is to obey Him, to give my life to Him in obedience, and to obey what the Father is saying to me, to obey what the Father is telling me to do, whatever that might be, whether that is to give myself to prayer, or to serve in a space where you don't ever see any fruit, or to go to a nation that is unreached. Whatever it might be, it might be something in the eyes of people that might be deemed insignificant towards the scale where you go to North Korea and you lose your life for Christ, where in the eyes of people it might seem extremely significant. But in the eyes of God, it's just calling us to obedience. And friends, when we ponder on that and we pause on that and we, we embrace that, it's liberating. Because I no longer need to chase after a purpose to feel that I've now responded accurately to God. Like I get to stand before Him and say, God, did I do enough for you? No, it eliminates all of that fear that, I have, that I'm going to waste my life. And let me just obey Jesus. Let me obey what God is telling me, whatever that might be. You see, God is patiently working His eternal plan. He's working a plan that will extend into eternity. Today, you and I get to reap the fruits of seeds that were sown thousands of years ago. Imagine the early Christians were knowing that, guys, we're going to record all of this that, we're going to, that Jesus is doing so that 2,000 plus years, people will still be reading about the life of Jesus through our works now. I promise you, they were maybe thinking that Jesus is going to come back in their lifetime. But God works something much grander. He's always working with eternity in mind. And as long as we have a temporal view of our own lives, we will always be frustrated with God. Because God is always thinking long term. We get to play a part in the plan. But we are not the plan. (laughs) It's important. We get to play a massive part in God's plan, but we are not the plan. Jesus is the plan and He always has been the plan. He always will be the plan. It's Jesus. And God patiently reminds me, He calls me back, and and it's it's like He's saying this. It's like Jesus and I, we're walking, and then I go with an idea. And um, those of you around me who know me, I have a lot of ideas. (laughs) And then we go. And God is just saying, my son, you're running ahead of grace. You're running ahead of grace. Come back. Because here's the thing. The moment I run beyond grace... I have to now fall into a different gospel. A gospel where I have to sustain myself. Where I have to work by my own efforts. And I will burn out. I will become disappointed. Or maybe even worse, I'll get it right. And then I'll have this chip on my shoulder. Look how good I am. And God is patiently saying, My son, you're running ahead of grace. Come back. Come back. Pulling me closer. Pulling me closer to Him. And that's always the greater mission, guys. The greater mission is always the Father. The greater mission is always the heart of the Father, where God is continually calling us into His heart, into relationship with Him. So as we almost close, grace is patient. Grace is patient, and it's often the thing that frustrates me the most, because I don't like waiting. Some of you are pros in waiting. All right? You guys get it right well. <laughs> uh, Vina, Ethan raised his hand. Uh-uh. Okay. 
<laughs> your wife will always call you out, Ethan. Um, yeah, it's the voice of reason and the voice of comfort. It's like the Holy Spirit. Um, grace is patient, but I'm not. And sometimes this frustrates me so much because there's things I want to accomplish. There's things I want to do. There's answers to prayer I want, and I want it yesterday. But then when I reflect on this, it's the thing that I'm most thankful for because it's in God's patience towards me that I get to know Him as my Lord and Savior. It's in God's patience towards me that I get to live with Him as a son of God, not a hireling, not a servant, not a slave, where I'm just sent out to do things for God, but as a son of God who has an intimate relationship with His Father. So even though grace frustrates me, it's the thing that keeps on transforming me. So my personal response to all of this is that I need to be mindful of the fact that I was a recipient of grace. Therefore, I get to show grace to people. And sometimes I'll become very impatient. And I'm not just thinking about worldly things like the guy dropping his money at the, the toll gate. That too, that's almost like a secondary fruit, the first fruit. Every single person is on a journey of discovering who God is. And God is patiently revealing himself to people. And sometimes I would want people to act like Christians when they're not yet. And God is telling me to have grace, to be patient with those who do not know Christ yet. And when it comes to us as believers, God is telling me to have grace, to not push as the leader of this congregation, to not push people beyond grace, but also not force people beyond grace. Grace. And when we see people acting beyond grace, to pull them in. Because God's grace is patient. And as we submit to God's patient grace over our lives, we keep on changing. We keep on transforming. So I told you guys that there's a personal response for me. But then as a church, we also get to respond. But it looks pretty much the same. There's a world out there of people who might have a lot of knowledge about God but not true revelation about who God is. It's our job to help people get to a true revelation of who God is. When I think about the church, it's this glorious picture where we are the hands and the feet of Jesus and we get to move into the spaces that God loves. We get to move into the places where God longs to be and we get to show the love of God to people. We get to show the kindness of God to people. We get to show the patience of God to people. We get to show the forgiveness of God to people. But then as the church also, we get to show grace to one another. Because all of us are still being formed in the image of Christ. All of us are still becoming more and more like Jesus. Peter ends his letter with, with these verses. So Peter ends with, with this, and he says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. So this is an instruction to Christians. Be diligent, my brothers, to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now 
and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow in the grace and knowledge, gnosis, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the instruction to us as His people. That we will continue to grow in grace. That we will continue to grow in the revelation of who God is. And as we submit to that, as we surrender to that, we will continue to see God changing us. And friends, that's Christianity. Christianity is not you changing yourself. It's God changing us. Let's pray. Now, as you're here tonight, you find yourself at at one of two spaces. You are either being led to the cross of Jesus, or you are being led from the cross. And maybe tonight you are aware of the fact that God has been pulling you closer and closer and closer. And maybe like me, you've come to the revelation that the knowledge you have about God is not the same knowledge that ends up with salvation. It often ends up with you trying to do more things for God, but never having that peace, never having that security, never knowing for sure that your life belongs to Jesus, that you are born again. But tonight, the Holy Spirit is showing you that God is leading you towards the cross. And if that's you, whether you're here in person or whether you're watching at home online, I want you just to respond by raising your hand to say, I want to respond to the cross tonight. I want to respond to God leading me to the cross. And tonight I want to surrender my life to Him as Lord and Savior of my life. So that you just raise your hand. Thank you. If you're watching at home and you're raising your hand and you're responding tonight, um, I want you to please go to the online platform, highfell.online, and you'll see there's a tab that says New Year. Um, We'd love for you to fill that in, and we'd love to get in contact with you. But let's pray this prayer, and as the church, let's all pray this together. Lord Jesus, tonight I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I bring my whole life before you. And I ask you, I plead with you, come and wash me clean. Your word says that you've forgiven my sin. That the blood of Christ washes me clean. I receive that tonight. Thank you that my sins are forgiven. And you have brought me near. Tonight I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. I come home to you. A child of God. Born again. Forgiven. Free. I ask now, Jesus, that you would come and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me up with your presence. And fill me up with your power. Amen. Amen. Come on. If you pray that prayer with us, and if you're here with the venue, please do come and just speak to me afterwards. We'd love to help you with a little um, booklet to get you started in this journey of knowing Jesus. 
If you responded online, please do go to the online platform, and we'd love to get that same booklet, that same gift, just into your hand as well. I want to want to ask all of us um, to respond just in prayer, a final moment, and this is where God is leading us from the cross. Um, and I want to ask if if you're at a space where you're just saying, God. I'm thankful for the fact that you've saved me. Um, And the greatest act of service, worship, is just to obey you. And I want to do that for the rest of my life. I want you to stand. And if you're at home, you can also stand. So tonight, Lord, as your church, we respond and we say, Lord, that our lives belong to you. We want to come and thank you, Lord, that you lead us from the cross. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll come and imprint into our hearts our new position that is found in Christ. We are seated alongside Jesus in the heavenly places. We give you permission, God, to call us back when we want to run ahead of grace. But would you make our hearts so pliable, so moldable, so shapeable in your hands, Lord. And give us a heart, Lord, that is willing to obey you, even when it's difficult, even when it doesn't make sense. Give us a heart, Lord, that wants to obey you. We pray, Lord, just for your church as well, for us. Would you come and pour out your spirit over our lives? And would you come and increase, Lord, just your grace over our lives that enables us to live lives that honor you and glorify you for the rest of our lives. I pray, Lord, that you'll guard our hearts, that we'll keep the main thing the main thing, that we'll remember that the main mission is always the heart of the Father. Thank you, Lord, that we can declare tonight that we are loved by God, deeply, deeply loved. And again, we want to say thank you, Lord, that your grace is patient. Amen. Amen.